Hello. <laughs> the peace of Christ be with you. As we gather in this place, I invite you to give yourself a gift of taking about three deep breaths so that you can fully arrive here, that your heart can start to open up, that you might start to recognize the presence of the living spirit in, with, and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join to the call for worship. This is a house of prayer where you don't have to hide. We bring doubts, questions, and next this is a community of faith that values seeking. We can explore, change, and grow. This is a way of being that trusts in God's mystery. We can feel safe, unjudged.
You may be seated. Welcome. Welcome to Westminster. It is such a joy to be with you. If you're visiting with us, if you're here for one of the first times, a special welcome to you. We're so happy that you have made your way here. After worship, we have some coffee and tea and some snacks set up in our Finley Hall. It's just right out these doors and to the left. We encourage you to, to go there after worship, get some nourishment, as well as have conversation with each other, maybe meet someone new. And then finally, if you're sitting here in our center aisle during our offering time, if you'd grab that register, that pew register, uh, sign your name in it, pass it down, pass it back. It's a great way to be able to greet people by name after worship. Also, if you're new with us, if you put some contact information down, it's a great way for us to be in touch with you later in the week. So let's join together now in our community prayer. Let us pray. God of word and God of the quiet, we open ourselves to you in prayer. We come seeking faith, seeking direction, seeking meaningful relationships. We admit we carry so many other agendas throughout our lives, and we long to live in harmony with your way and will. Forgive us for losing sight of the way or focus on what matters most. Help us to be patient with others and ourselves as we all struggle to be loving and compassionate. Assure us in Christ's covering love. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that we are forgiven always. We are made new always through God's everlasting mercy and love. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we continue with our prayer time, now is the time that you are invited to share with the gathered community, share with us your joys and concerns, how we can be in prayer together this week. I'll start off by offering healing prayers for our worship accompanist, Patty. She had a carpal tunnel surgery this week, which is pretty important for a keyboardist, uh, but has already let Rob know by the end of the week that she was playing some scales. So she is healing well, but continued healing prayers for her and also prayer of thanks. Thanks for Martha, who is joining us on the organ and the piano this morning. <laughs> there you go. It is, it is always a joy to hear Martha play. Uh, others, other joys or concerns to share with us today? Yeah, Carol. So Kara offers a prayer for a woman named Allison, a single mom of a college-age student. Um, she has what sounds like it started with some intestinal difficulties, but that spread to other organs, and she's in very poor health, it sounds like. So prayers for Allison and her family. Others? Yeah, Karen. Uh, prayers for my nephew, who seems to be struggling with 
Karen's nephew, who is struggling with mental health issues. Behind me. Uh, prayers for Stan Smith, who is a, has, now has a date for a pretty tricky neck surgery. I think it's a week from just And for his wife, Sandy, Sandra, this is a challenging and uh, time for them. So uh, Elizabeth lifts up Stan Smith. You may remember we've been praying for him. He had a fall several weeks ago and injured his neck. And he's been wearing a brace with the hopes that his neck would heal in the brace, and unfortunately it has not. So the next step is next week he's going to have to have what's a pretty risky surgery. Um, so Elizabeth was offering prayers for Stan, approaching his surgery, as well as his wife Sandy as she cares for him. Others? All right, let's have a few moments of quiet as we hold all these prayers, and then I'll lead us in the Lord's Prayer. So let us pray. Creator God, we give thanks for how you have loved us passionately into being. And we pray that our love for you may reflect and mirror your love for us as we gather this morning as your beloved community. And hear us now as together we pray the prayer that your son taught us, saying, Our who art in heaven, hallowed be thy As we forgive our debtors, lead us not into temptation, and deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Amen. Since, since this is the third Sunday of the month, this is our birthday blessing Sunday. So if you have a birthday in January or if maybe you missed a blessing in a previous month, I invite you to come forward for a blessing. All right, happy birthday to you all. Now, of course, this weekend we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. And I thought for the birthday blessing today, I would share with you just a couple of quotes of his that are from some of his lesser known writings and speeches. You know, I love his I Have a Dream speech, of course, but maybe some quotes of his that you perhaps haven't yet heard. So this first one is from a, a handwritten letter he penned, likely in the mid-60s. And he writes, Love is the greatest force in the universe. It is the heartbeat of the moral cosmos. One who loves is a participant in the being of God. And then another one from a 1967 Christmas sermon that King preached. If we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. Our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. And this means we must develop a world perspective. And then finally, a speech at a high school in 1967. He says, be a bush if you can't be a tree. If you can't be a highway, be a trail. If you can't be a sun, be a star. For it isn't by size that you win or fail. Be the best of whatever you are. And that certainly is my hope and prayer for you, not only this month of your birthday, but certainly in the whole year to come. Happy birthday. Amen and happy birthday. You may be seated. And while they're being seated, I invite any of the children who are worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Good morning, David. I know, I just hang out. All right. I see some are just walking in the door. Hey, Jack, come on and join us. Hello, everyone. Wonderful to see you all today. So every now and then, every now and then I come across a book that I really enjoy that I think, oh my gosh, I want to share that with the kids at Westminster. And this is the newest one I've come across. It's not a new book. It was written probably four or five years ago. But I was just introduced to it. And it's called The Big Umbrella. You read it at your school? Excellent. All right. I thought, you know, 
This is kind of a good time for a story about an umbrella, isn't it? Yeah. All right. So by the front door, there is an umbrella. Okay. It is big. It is a big, friendly umbrella. Look at that. The, um, the umbrella has a happy face on it. Love it. It likes to help. It likes to spread its arms wide. It loves to give shelter. See a couple people standing under the umbrella in the rain? It loves to gather people in. Now instead of two people, looks like there's four people under that umbrella. It doesn't matter if you are tall or hairy. Is that a bear with a briefcase? Huh, interesting. Oh, look, the tall person's now fit under the umbrella. Or plaid. What a snazzy-looking raincoat that is. It doesn't matter how many legs you have. I see a dog there. Take a look at this umbrella, how many people are now under the umbrella. Oh, my goodness. All right. Some people worry that there won't be room under the big umbrella. Holy moly, look at all those people. Oh my gosh. But the amazing thing is, there is. There is always room. Look at that. The umbrella has just grown and grown. So it makes me wonder, makes me wonder how God's love might be like this umbrella. Makes me wonder how our love might be like this umbrella. There is always room. So when you guys hear your story today in Sacred Stories, you're going to hear God talking about Jesus saying, This is my child, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. But I wonder if God doesn't say that just about Jesus, but I wonder if God says that about each and every one of us, because there is so much room in God's love for all of God's beloved children. So I look forward to hearing more from you about the story you hear. I see Grayson and Ben right back there, ready to lead you to your Sunday school class, all right? Go now in peace, go now in peace. May the The first reading today is from Psalm 40, verses 1 through 11. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the desolate pit out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Happy are those who make the Lord their trust, who do not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after false gods. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. 
none can compare with you. They would be more than were I to proclaim and tell of them. Pardon me. I'll start again. Verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. Were I to proclaim and tell of them, they would be more than could be counted. Sacrifice and offering you do not desire, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, Here I am, in the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance to the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and my salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Do not, O Lord, withhold your mercy from me. Let your steadfast love and your faithfulness keep me safe forever. This is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from John's Gospel, the first chapter, verses 29 to 42. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning. The next day, he, John the baptizer, saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the one of whom I said, After me comes one who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples, and as he watched Jesus walk by, he exclaimed, Look! Here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and see. They came and saw where he was staying, and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God helpful to have all those translation notes. I wish the Bible had more of those so we knew what on earth so much of it meant. Speaking of, of learning and growing in the faith, 
I had the real pleasure last week of being with the confirmation class right after this service to spend an hour with those young folks engaging in that important rite of passage in the church where they are invited to take the faith that they've been given by their families and by their church and choose whether or not to confirm it as their own, as to some degree spiritual adults. Powerful rite of passage. I came into the session uh, thinking it was you know, your standard run-of-the-mill ask the pastor anything kind of hour. After all, I have it all figured out, right? That's the whole point. But not surprisingly, our youth director, Jeff, had a, a better designed experience in mind, better for them and frankly better for me. He instead designed an experience in which we would interact so they would ask me some things, I would ask they, them some things, we did some other things I'll get to later, but it was really a conversation. And of course, that's how real growth happens, both with teaching, that sometimes feels like it's delivered, and also through conversation, where folks get to wrestle with their own experiences and their own perspectives. That that hour stuck with me through the week, and it came back up for me. It returned to me when I was listening to what's become a new favorite podcast. It's called Earth and Spirit. It's an NPR podcast out of Louisville, Kentucky, that operates, in its own words, at the intersection of meditative spiritual practice, social healing, and ecology. So it invites all these kinds of interesting experts, religious leaders or activists or scientists, all working at that intersection in some form or another. And one of the guests that I heard interviewed this week was a woman named Victoria Lures, who's the founder of the Wild Church Movement and has written a book about that. Wild Church is, a, a, this is a person who's ordained in some Christian denomination, but in this chapter of her life is leading church in the wilderness. And it's not just transporting churches, we don't putting it in the wilderness, but it's a really integrated way of trying to re-engage the natural world as sacred and uncovering what that means for us. Well, at one point in the conversation, Lures started talking about the prologue to the Gospel of John. The prologue is the beginning of the Gospel, and it, it occurs not long before the passage I read just moments ago. You would have heard it most recently in worship on Christmas Eve. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That poetic beginning. But here's the thing, Lures asserts. That translation or that connotation of the Greek word logos, logos, wasn't always the Word. Truth with a capital T packaged and delivered in a one-way street. She says, actually, that only came into being when the church became the official religion of the empire and it needed to be standard and codified and delivered like a product or a mandate, a dictate. She said, actually, the connotation in the early church was not word, but conversation. You hear how radical that difference is? In the beginning was the conversation, and the conversation was with God, and the conversation was 
God. Wow. Now, this, is, this was too good to be true, I thought. I didn't know exactly where she was pulling that history from. So I pulled on whatever fragments of faculty I have left with Greek, and I looked it up. And wouldn't you know, at least one of the interpretations of Logos supports her assertion. One interpretation of it is argument. Now, it may not be argument in the sense of a complete going back and forth. It may be sort of like you deliver an argument to someone. But even that implies a relationality, a back and forth, a negotiation, a persuasion, a, rea a, a relationship. Conversation. Boy, that's a helpful recognition to bring to a gospel that's so declarative that it has uh, sadly functioned to push some people away from the faith. Because John is peppered with all these statements, I am the way. To do this, you must do that. This is the Son of God. It's just over the top. And some people feel like, well, if I'm not sure, I don't know if I belong, which is a tragedy because John was written for people who'd been kicked out of their religious community as a message to them that in no uncertain terms, they belonged. That's the tragedy of John, is how it's become used, considered why and how it was written in the first place. In sort of churchy terms, we say uh, John has a high Christology, which just means Jesus is very godlike in it, right? Seeming more godly than human. Whereas Mark, one of the other Gospels, for example, we'd say has a low Christology. It's grittier, earthier. Jesus seems more human. A little God sprinkled here and there. So in John, you hear all these statements like, here is the Messiah, the anointed one, just bold and blasted. Do you know what anointed means, by the way? We throw around these words as if we have any understanding of them. When you anointed someone in ancient religious ritual, you rubbed oil on them as a marking of the sacred imprint. And so to call Jesus the anointed was to say this is the one who has the God stuff rubbed all over him. It's a very technical term. The God stuff. And so in John, it's very clear, this guy's dripping with the God stuff, right? And as I alluded to earlier, there's some talk that there's a really different depiction of Jesus in different Gospels. But Luke Timothy Johnson, who's a New Testament scholar, says, actually, uh, we make too much of this distinction. That John may seem over the top, but John is just making explicit what is implicit in the other Gospels. It's clearly embodied in those Gospels. John, uh, basically, according to Luke Timothy Johnson, John just says the quiet part out loud. This is the Son of God. This is the Messiah. This is the one. This is the way. It's just saying the quiet part aloud. And John's not the first to express this kind of confidence in God, this kind of declaration about God's goodness and God's activity in the world. It look no, uh, you don't have to wait till the New Testament to get it. You, you see all kinds of moments show up in the Older Testament. You heard Elizabeth read from the 40th Psalm earlier. Hear some of these words again. If you want to hear somebody who really has a sense of what they know about the world and what they know about God, listen to this. I delight to do your will, O God. I delight, which means I know it and I will do it. Your law is within my heart. I've not just read the words or heard the words. I've 
taken them in. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. See, I have not restrained my lips. As you know, O Lord, I have not hidden your saving help within my heart. This is someone who knows the hand of God in their life and is unafraid to speak of it. There doesn't seem to be much wavering there. And let's stop here and give thanks for those people in our lives who have been like that, unwavering, solid, like a rock, which is what Peter's name really means. Peter, Cephas, they mean rock. My guess is you're here on some level because somewhere someone in your life was that solid embodiment of the faith. And they modeled for you what that could be like and maybe inspired you. And that's how you got to this place on your journey. Oh, we give thanks for them. Maybe we give thanks for those moments when we were that person for someone else. Or just those stretches in our life where we felt secure and solid, like a rock, in where we stood and what all of this means. What a gift that is. Because we're not always there, all of us, at least. In fact, that's one of the main reasons communal worship is so important. Did you know that sometimes when you come here, you're not coming here for yourself. You may think you are. But you're actually coming here because the person next to you or behind you or in front of you needs to hear you sing the words. Or say the prayers because they can't say them that day for whatever reason. It's all they can do to get here. And other times you're that person and you just barely make it in the door and you sit there and you look at the words but you can't get your mouth to form them and you lean on the solid rock of the person singing behind you or praying next to you or praying for you that you don't even know is doing that. Because the other quiet part that doesn't get said a lot except as a dirty secret, is that sometimes we don't know. Sometimes we're anything but sure or certain. And what's sad about it is it shouldn't be dirty and it doesn't have to be a secret because it's just what is. And what would it, like, what would it look like to hold it without judgment? I'll tell you what it would look like. It would Look like what one of your confirmation participants did last week in that class. At one point, just so beautifully shared, you know, sometimes I believe all this. I think it's totally real. It makes sense. And other times, I have no idea. He just said it. Because nobody's taught him yet he's supposed to keep that a secret. And he said it without any shame. And it just so beautifully names what is true the quiet part that so many carry of when they're unsure. And what it says to me is we've set up the wrong measuring stick for faith in the religious life. That really faith is always about being certain and declarative and unchanging and stable and static. It's like traveling on a path that never wavers. Which sounds boring to me, but that's a different issue. I submit to you there's a much better measuring stick for your faith. That is, how open and honest can you be about where you are? What can you bear to look in the face and acknowledge without judgment? And how can you be wherever you are with an open heart? 
That's the standard. Can you take an honest look around and look within and have an open heart about it? I was listening to that new favorite podcast again, and one of the other guests was talking about, uh, I think the title was The Luminous Darkness. It's talking about, uh, metaphorically, the times of darkness in our lives, the despair, the grief. And she was beckoning us to confront that face on, to look at it, to open ourselves to it, to not hide from it or shut down from it. Because in doing so, what you do is you expand your capacity to be compassionate. You have to exercise it like a muscle. Expose yourself to it, open up, and in doing so, you'll get better at opening up and better at loving in the face of it. And wouldn't you know, when I was looking through my notes that I'd written months ago for today, one of the lines I'd written was, it's often in so roundly experiencing the absence of something that we are then able to embrace its presence when it shows up. Which is exactly what this woman was saying. When you train your heart to be open in the face of what's difficult and hard and despairing, you make yourself more able to receive life's graces when they come. So by being honest in those places, not trying to get somewhere else, that you ready yourself to receive what's next. And listen to the story you just heard from John. John the Baptist, who just blurts out this declaration about who Jesus is. The disciples, who in a matter of time are able to say, yes, here's the Messiah. They can say that in part because they know what it's like to not have one and to long for one. The experience of absence holds in it the seeds for the possibility of the presence. And so if you see your faith journey as a path, there is by definition no aberration from it. There's only iteration. It's just where you are that season. It's just what that chapter looks like. But it's not off the path. It's part of the path. Let the psalm build the bridge for you. I read selected verses on purpose where the psalmist is sure about how great things are and what God has done for them. And how does the psalmist know that? How does the psalmist know what deliverance feels like? Because they were in a place that they needed deliverance from, right? You wouldn't sing a song about deliverance if you were always all good. They know the experience of the pit, physically and spiritually. And that's how they recognize deliverance when it smacks them in the face. There is no aberration. There is only iteration. Back to the confirmation class in the conversation. Well, as I said earlier, it wasn't just conversation. Uh, Jeff peppered in some physical challenges. So um, I, can, I can report to you, I successfully completed a cheerleading high kick without injuring any youth and without pulling a muscle, more importantly. I learned in the process that this is your big cinnamon roll. This is your little cinnamon roll. You start big cinnamon roll up and then you Okay, not for now. But um, you know what the first question they asked me was? Have you ever had a spiritual crisis? Don't underestimate them. And also know that they're already wondering if that's on the path. Right? They know what to ask. 
Now, maybe because I wear this, the assumption is, well, I have it all figured out. The answer is going to be no, but we'll ask anyway. But I think they might have been surprised when I said, oh, tons, which I maybe should have dialed back a little bit. <laughs> and then I proceeded to share them just about one that had come up and how it had un unsettled me, which is not really, the details are not interesting for this moment. But what I said to them is, you know, the, the, the walk of faith is, is a series of disassembling and reassembling. So you go through life and you kind of come to some working answers. Well, this is how it works. This is what's true. This is what it means for me. And it kind of carries you down the road a little while. And it works until it doesn't. Something happens to you or something happens in you. And things get shaken up and the pieces, that might fit together, but they don't carry you anywhere. And so they're either smashed for you or you start to take them apart. And you lay them all out. And after a while, you realize you've got to keep moving, so you start to piece them back together. And you leave some of the old ones behind, and you grab some new ones that you've picked up along the way, and you plug those in, and you come to a different working set of definitions and understandings about what's true and what it means and how to live, and it carries you a little farther. And then it happens again. And it's not a series of failures. It's a series of, of challenges and recovery. And it's, it's about growth. It's about death and rebirth, and it happens time and time again, and it's all faith. Another way of thinking of it is it's a series of, uh, life is just a string of being able to say, here is the Lamb of God. Here is the Messiah. And where's the Messiah? What is the Messiah? It's uh, of being able to say, here is my help. And help or where is my help or what is help or how can I find help it's a string of being able to say this is the word and this is the conversation and all of it all of it is faith and all of it every bit of it deserves your confirmation amen
may be seated. A few announcements about what's happening in the life of the church, and as always, I encourage you to make sure you're reading your bulletins and checking out the e-news. If you're not receiving that, let one of us on staff know so we could sign you up. It's a great source of information, the website as well. One correction to the announcement you may have seen about the Women of Westminster luncheon. Uh, all the details there are correct except for the time which is important if you're showing up for a meal. That will begin at 11, not 11.30.
So 11 o'clock, not 11.30. Uh, give that a read. If you hadn't looked it over, consider attending. I'm sure you will uh, not regret it. Secondly, two weeks from today after this service is the annual meeting of the congregation. Required we, that we announce that aloud and in writing, and so we're doing that and have been doing that and will do that. Uh, it's the, we try to meet just once a year. We don't always achieve that. We elect new officers to serve in a term that will start in May, but they will begin their training rather immediately. We will be hearing a little bit about what's happening in the life of the church, what's coming up. You'll get to see the budget that was approved by the elders. You'll get to see that a week in advance, so you can bring questions. It can be a time of conversation. You can bring other questions you have. You'll get to hear some things different this year about an upcoming sabbatical I'll be taking, and then likely one Bethany will take the subsequent summer. Um, and you will approve uh, clergy salaries for, year, for the year. That is, uh, in the Presbyterian Church, the congregation is responsible for doing that. So each year uh, you have the uh, right and responsibility to do that. So make sure you're here, too. We have to have a quorum in order to conduct this important business. So it's two weeks from today, right after the service. You do not have to be a member to attend the meeting. In fact, we'd love it if you attended as a visitor. might give you a sense of the goings-on here. You can participate. You simply can't vote on any items that require voting. And finally, as alluded to earlier, it's Martin Luther King Day weekend, as I know you know. And sometimes I think when that holiday turns around, we pull out a few lines of I have a dream and listen to them or read them and then think we've done our work. But I would encourage you to go deeper, to find speeches you have not yet heard or watch them on YouTube or sermons he gave and really spend some time in them today or tomorrow that they might take up residence in your heart and drive your action as well. We can do more than just look back nostalgically. We can be touched spiritually and otherwise materially by his prophetic words. And with that, our closing hymn is number 783.
As you make your way to coffee hour, I hope you find someone you don't recognize, that you introduce yourself to them and welcome them to this place, or that you just connect with someone you haven't seen in a while, that our bonds might strengthen within this beloved congregation. And as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit go with you this day and every day. Amen.